Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. My name is Mickey. I'm a worship arts coordinator at Baylife Church. And I'm Travis, and I'm the teaching pastor at Baylife Church. And we want to welcome you to the Stone Table. So can I confess something to you here at the beginning of the episode? Yes. Uh, I went back and I listened to our new intro music like 45 times oh this Oh my week. gosh, I did too. <laughs> yeah. It's so good, right? Yeah. We I, can't get over it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, once, once I finished putting the intro together, I, I, it felt like Genesis <laughs> one where I sat back and rested and, <laughs> and rejoiced in, wow. in what I made and, uh. I yeah. think it was a pretty good call that we made. Yeah. Yeah. I know if you guys have listened to our last episode, you notice we changed some of the, all of the music, really. We changed the intro and the middle music. And yeah. we mentioned it before, but we're going to mention it again because it's just very exciting I'm, for I'm us. super proud of these new songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. a good call we made. Yeah. Getting it a fresh sound. Sure. It was very yeah. exciting. Yeah. It's, it's summer, you know, summertime. Yes. It's the, the summer of changes. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. time for a fresh, fresh start. But you know, you guys know what isn't getting a fresh start around here. It's Travis's caffeine habit. That's true. That's true. Nothing has changed. Nothing is that. changing. And and I point this out because you guys don't see the videos when we do our video interviews. You guys don't see, you know, what we're doing really when we record any of our podcasts right. because this is all audio. Right. But what you guys don't know is that every episode that we do, mm-hmm. whether it's an interview or a debrief or a devotional, Travis always has a cup of black coffee. It's true. Every yeah. single time. And he's sitting in front of me right now with a cup of black coffee and it is six in the afternoon. Six thirty. Almost in the evening. Yeah. Okay. And I just want to say that I. That's not changing. I am me, our, not our, sorry. Yeah, that's what I'm I want to sure say. I'm not, not sorry. sorry about it. That's yeah. the thing is <laughs> times yeah. are changing. Everything's getting a new look, new sound, mm-hmm. but not Travis Lowe. He well, is holding fast to his tradition. So I feel like when whenever you do something like this, you need some some rituals, and you you sure. need to have sort of a way that you you, you always follow the same protocol. Mm. And so. Um, whenever I type up a sermon, it's always typed up in the same format. I kind of follow the same pattern of studying. I follow the same pattern of getting ready for a sermon and I do it the same way, no matter where I'm preaching, Uh, no (laughs) matter how long I have to preach. I always do the same things. I can attest to this. And in the same way, when I'm getting ready to podcast, I make a pot of coffee and I pour it into my mug and I consume the whole pot of coffee. It's a vibe for you. I feel like it's not even so much. It's not even so much about the the caffeine for you. You no. just you I'm just, just like it. I'm, I just need something to do. You like just having something to hold. I know. Yeah. I just. I don't. <laughs> I, I I get antsy if I don't have like a mug. And, yeah. And so yeah. Yeah. At this point, caffeine really doesn't do much to us. It no. just kind of keeps the headaches away. <laughs> so so out of curiosity, um, when when did you first start drinking coffee? So I started drinking coffee when I was young. Actually, I was a kid and I would go to work with my dad after school and at his job where he worked at a church, there was a coffee maker. And so he would make coffee for himself and he would leave some for me. And of course I would put like maybe 
a like very small amount of coffee and then just dump a bunch of sugar and cream in it. It was okay. delicious. Yeah. So I don't know that that really counts, but the older I got, the more coffee I started adding sure. and the less sugar I started putting in it. Okay. Um, so I, I, I mostly drink black coffee right now. I yeah. love coffee with cream. Yeah. If I'm feeling a little crazy, but you, you've been switching to milk as of late. I've been switching to milk lately just because I don't think my, my stomach can handle cream as much <laughs> as like, as well as it used yeah. to anymore. I don't know why that is, but yeah. I feel like people, as they get older, they can also yeah. develop weird reactions to stuff. And sure. I think that's happening to me with cream. Mm. Um, so lately I drink my coffee with milk okay. and I love myself a good latte. Uh, likewise. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I didn't, I don't think I started drinking coffee until I was like 25. I had, wow. I had had coffee. And you didn't like that. it. Yeah. I, so I had had coffee, but I hated it. I yeah. thought it was disgusting. I actually remember sitting in the lobby of Bay life, mm-hmm. probably at like 20 or 21. And you know, we have like the free folders yeah, yeah, coffee, yeah. or at least we did before we had to kind of follow some of the social distancing protocol. Yeah. And I remember filling up my cup with this folders coffee and taking a sip of it and literally dry heaving. It was just so, <laughs> and, and I was like, this is what grownups do. They drink coffee and yeah. it's disgusting. And I'm still kind of convinced that nobody likes coffee. I like coffee. See, I'm not convinced you do. <laughs> I, I, I think because I'm not convinced I like coffee. I like what coffee does. And I like the fact that black coffee doesn't have any calories in it. And I can drink as much of it as I want with no like weight gain. Yeah. Um, but does it really taste good or have we all just convinced I, ourselves of this? Well, I think if you make it right <laughs> like if you maybe yeah so we're not we love coffee but sure. we're not we're not professionals no. i mean your brother justin is really good at making coffee he yeah. like weighs the beans he grinds it to perfection and, it, mm-hmm. and he pours the perfect cup because it's an art for him right. he's really good and at he it he is very good at it yeah, yeah. we just kind of kind of just dump it in yeah i kind of put just, in water i kind of just eyeball it i'm like that looks like enough yeah and and I'm sure that all of my barista friends and yeah. listeners are really disappointed right now. Right. We appreciate you guys. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think we'll ever be able to be one of you guys. No, so anyway, not. moral of the story, I grew up drinking coffee, but. And I've learned to to drink coffee. Yeah. And that has nothing to do with the, the episode no, today. No, nothing to do. Just a little tidbit about us. Yeah. So, so the episode today is a super mega debrief, debrief. super yeah. mega debrief. Yeah. Welcome. This is our very first super mega debrief. Yeah. We're, we're talking through four different interviews this yes. time and kind of just unpacking what stood out to us and what we found valuable and helpful. And if you haven't joined us for one of our debriefs before the, the format that our show kind of follows is that we'll do normally two interviews and then we'll do a theology of segment where we tackle kind of an interesting issue. Mm-hmm. And then we'll do a debrief where we take the interviews that we've done and we talk about what stood out to us and, and how we're growing as a result of these conversations. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, depending on how this episode goes, uh, we, we normally break it up two interviews and then, and a, then debrief, a debrief, but we're at four interviews. And right. so we are tackling our conversation with Melissa Morales in Argentina. Mm-hmm. We're tackling our conversation with Jay Kim over in California, yes. David Taylor from Texas, and then Gavin Ortland, who is also in California. California. So we are all over the map with these interviews yes. and, uh, and I am ready to dive in. I guess we should say this up front because we're covering so many different interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, this will be kind of a, a longer episode and yes. at least as far as debriefs go and we'll yeah. break it up in the middle just so, so there's some breathing room. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. We will do 
two interview debriefs with a pause, a, a, a musical pause, if an you interlude, will. if you an will, an interlude, yes, with a new song selection, mm-hmm. and then we will dive into the other two interviews that we will be debriefing. Yeah. So with that being said, let's go ahead and let's jump into the the first of the conversations we had. This was all the way back in May, and we were talking with a longtime friend of yours and yeah. a new friend of mine, Melissa. Yes. So Melissa is a very dear friend of mine. And if you listen to the episode where we talk about doing church differently with her, we just kind of get a perspective of what church these days looks like in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic in Argentina. So Melissa yeah. is in Mendoza, Argentina. Mm-hmm. And so she shared with us a little bit about uh, how her church is doing, um, just the ways that they've had to adapt and some of the challenges in, in their unique setting right now. Mm-hmm. And just a lot of the ways that they've also been growing. So it was very helpful to sit down and talk with her. And and it was so great for me because you know I, I grew up with her and it's always so special to be able to sit down with a friend and especially a friend in another country. I know um, a week prior to that interview, we had a conversation with Pete Stewart in Mm -hmm. Scotland. And um, it's just such a treat to be able to uh, sit down and talk with Christians around the world. And I think that's something that we as a podcast and as a ministry hope to encompass, right? We want to draw wisdom from believers in other parts of the country mm-hmm. or in other parts of the world. Yeah, in other other countries, yeah. I know when, when you and I sat down, it, gosh, it would have been in probably September of 2019 to mm-hmm. talk about relaunching this podcast and, and thinking through what it would look yeah. like to to cast a vision for it going forward. This is one of the big things that, that we wanted to see on the show is that yeah. we would be bringing Christians from different cultures and different backgrounds and different nationalities and that we would also be bringing Christians from different denominations together right. and and learning from our brothers and sisters the world over. And so mm-hmm. having conversations with people like Melissa is, is very much in line with kind of our vision for this show to yeah. to hear the whole voice of the the body of Christ mm. and, and what the spirit is doing. Yeah. And, and so one of the good. things that Melissa was really excited about during this season of the coronavirus pandemic is that she felt like it was pushing her church to maybe grow into some areas of technology that they had neglected, learning to, to do things like live streaming and engaging on social media and to follow up with their congregation in these non-physical, non-embodied ways, because especially in Argentina, the quarantine is really, yeah. really, really strict. And it so, is. Uh, so Melissa was super excited about the way that this season is driving her church to, to learn to engage with technology mm. better. Mm. And I think that fits well with the next conversation that we had, which was with our friend Jay Kim, yeah. who is the author of the book Analog Church. And Jay's whole whole premise in his book and kind of the direction that our conversation went uh, was just thinking critically about how it is that we relate to technology. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the reality is that we as Christians want to think very carefully about what we introduce into ministry, what we yeah. introduce into the life of our church. Right. And we don't want to just chase after like the newest fads. We, we don't want to just be like, oh my gosh, everyone has a TikTok, therefore our church <laughs> needs a TikTok. I don't even know what that is, if I'm yeah. going to be honest with you. Our friends <laughs> send us like funny videos from it, but... Yeah, yeah, we're, we're not on TikTok. It kind of th- seems like a worse Vine. yeah. Which nothing I know you are a huge fan of. Yeah, nothing will ever be as good as mine. I, I agree. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's interesting that we 
we get to kind of group these two interviews together, which was not done on purpose, by no, the way. Not at this all. is just how, kind not of how planned. Yeah. It, it panned out where we speak to someone from a context where technology is very, very important right now and mm-hmm. it's critical to her church. And then we talk with Jay Kim, who gives us a perspective of, you know, we should think critically also with the way that we engage with technology. And, and you know, we talk about it in the interview um, about how important it is to utilize it right now because it is a gift that God's given us mm-hmm. technology that we can continue to do church online. Um, but one of my favorite parts from our interview with Jay is that he makes a point to say, whenever people do come into the church, whenever they do come into service, um, hopefully it'll be soon. We don't know when right. uh, a lot of people are going to, to be able to come back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we're so fortunate that we've been able to start, start having services again. Mm -hmm. Um, but I know for a lot of us, we're not comfortable going yet, but whenever we do, uh, start to see more people in the church, Mm -hmm. especially those who don't know Christ or who haven't been to church. Um, he mentioned that the church should, should transcend, uh, Cultural categories. Yeah, yeah. It, it yeah. Sh- that experience should be transcendent. Yeah. You know, th- this is a phrase that I'm, I'm sure I'm borrowing from somebody else, but it's something that I've been saying for a couple of years is like when I think of my friends who are not believers, they're not particularly interested in a church boxing up the world mm. and then selling it back to them. Right. You know, like if, right, right, right. if they wanted to to see a great rock concert, they could go to the Ford Amphitheater. I, again, once sure. everything kind of reopens. Or like if they wanted to see like a great stand-up comedian, they could watch Comedy Central. Yeah, you know? so, right. They don't want to come to church and experience that. That's not our role. Right, yeah. What, what they want is, and this is the word that you mentioned and it came out in our podcast, is transcendence. Yeah. They're, they're not looking for the same thing that they get out in the culture. Otherwise, mm-hmm. why bother to wake up early on a Sunday morning? Yeah. You know, they're, they're looking for something distinct and otherworldly yeah. and, and unique. And, and they're looking to see uh, whether they realize it or not, the, the kingdom of God embodied in uh, some really unique ways. And so I think for, for Jay, especially having read his book, the, the big idea that he wants to push us towards is not to ignore technology mm. entirely. Obviously, Jay came on a podcast with us and yeah, he runs right. a podcast and he runs or, or he helps run the Regeneration Project, yeah. project the Regeneration Project. Which, which is, is an so, online ministry. So good, by the way. It's, if you guys haven't had the chance yet, go check it out online. It's <laughs> so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so the conversation is not anti-technology, but right. but it is, hey, let's be thoughtful about this. Yeah. Let, let's not just chase after every technological trend mm. without thinking about what it might do or right. how it might affect the church as we pursue the mission that Jesus has given us. Right. And I and I like what you said earlier about what we incorporate into our ministry. I mean, that is something mm-hmm. that we should be very thoughtful about right. because, I mean, something that you and I talked about before was um, hymn books, right? right? Yeah, yeah. A it's lot a of technology. It, it's a technology in itself because it's a book. It's mm-hmm. something that was developed. We don't, in our tradition, we don't use them anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have projectors right? and yeah. they display the lyrics on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, our hands are free now. We don't have to look down and look at a hymnal, mm-hmm. but now we are looking at a screen. Yeah. And so- it's kind of like a give and take, right? Mm-hmm. We have to determine what, you know, what, what is going to be beneficial here. And, and it, and that's just an example of how things progress right. and technology develops mm-hmm. and it frees us in some areas, but it could also take away yeah. some, some things too. And, and, and I think that kind of gets back to 
maybe a central point is when we look at technology, we have to ask the question, what are we gaining by adopting this? But, exactly. but what are we losing as well? Yeah. So like you said, with the hymn books, um, you don't have to hold the book anymore. Mm-hmm. So you can actually raise your hands in worship. Yeah. Um, but you're also looking at a screen. Yeah. And, and so that, that changes things too. And, sure. and that, and that can maybe bleed over into kind of an entertainment mentality. Right. right, right. And, and so this, this idea of what we gain and what we lose by introducing technology is one that's really important as mm. we think about what we've learned during the coronavirus pandemic and how we adapt that to ministry in the future. Definitely. And I think that our, the posture of our hearts are, are important on this too. Sure. Right. I mean, if we're going to be thoughtful about the way that we leverage technology for the glory of God, mm-hmm. we're going to have to, you know, be mindful of, you know, where our hearts are and what our intentions are and, sure. you know, just the, the give and take that that brings. And so yeah. just seeking wisdom in, in this area. Um, and so that's what I so appreciated about these two interviews that we did mm-hmm. with Melissa and the way that she is, you know, wisely using technology in her church because where restrictions, restrictions are very, um, extreme extreme where she's at technology is kind of the best they got Mm -hmm. so that's just something that it's wonderful to see the the healthy balance there yeah and then jay um just talking to us about how important it is to make sure that we're thoughtful and critical about the way that we incorporate technology yeah i think these two interviews pair really well together and, and can help somebody to to think in kind of a fully orbed way about the church's relationship with technology in the days ahead. So speaking of the way that something like the the transition from a prayer book to a PowerPoint presentation mm-hmm. sort of opens up and closes down different opportunities in worship, I feel like that pairs well with the conversation that we had with David Taylor in Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. <laughs> not, not Austin. Oh my gosh. No, it is Austin. We said Houston. Yeah, we said Houston. <laughs> I thought uh, my eyes just got so big. I thought I thought we had ruined his his location again, no. which was kind of how we started that interview. Yep. Wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> David is such a cool and gracious guy. He was so gracious. Yeah. But we were so excited about this discussion with him because we we really wanted to talk about just the power that the arts have on us right, and, and yeah. the formative power that they have on us. Yeah. You know, I first encountered David's work probably back in 2015 when the video series, and we talked about this yeah. in the interview, the, the video series of discussions between Bono, uh, the lead singer of U2, and Eugene Peterson and David were were released on YouTube. Which is so cool, by the way. <laughs> you guys. It? Oh my gosh. Okay, side note. Uh-huh. One of my favorite parts about hosting a podcast is that we get to see these cool things and we're like, let's talk to the people who did that. Right. So this, I, I don't know, this is just a huge blessing for me. Yeah. That we kind of get to just see these cool things and, and be, be like, like, let's email them yeah. and ask if they'll talk let's to us. Let's see if they'll come on our podcast. <laughs> yeah. So side note, that's a great, um, it's yeah. A and yeah. it's a great YouTube video. You guys mm. definitely need to go check that out. It's very, very interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, um, other, other side note, while we're just talking <laughs> about, uh, you two and Eugene Peterson and, and all this stuff. Um, so my first encounter with you two, first time I ever heard the band, you two mm-hmm. was on a direct TV special. 
Mm, in okay. 2003, maybe 2004. Um, and it was U2's Live at Slane Castle, uh-huh. which is a, a castle in Ireland yeah, yeah, yeah. that they played in. Um, and it was free on DirecTV. My parents had just gotten DirecTV. We, we, ha- we hadn't ca- had cable in 10 years. Wow. <laughs> we had just gotten DirecTV. And the, the U2 Live at Slane Castle video was playing. And I remember my mom and dad were talking to my Aunt Mary. Mm-hmm. And I was watching. I'd never heard them before. And they were playing um, With or Without You. Okay. Which is like the big yeah, yeah, U2 yeah. song off the Joshua Tree. And I was 12 or 13 and I literally teared up watching it. I I had goosebumps and I teared up watching Bono sing with or without you, which I feel like I tell a lot of stories where I tear up. It makes me sound like I'm a super emotional person. Um, But, but I love, I love you too. I I think that band is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And, and so to talk to somebody who was friends with Bono was a huge uh, fanboy moment. It was, it was the fulfillment of my eighth grade direct TV <laughs> dreams yeah. as a child. Um, but man, I was, I was so excited to talk with David because his work on the intersection between faith and art is so insightful. Mm. He's been a part of this conversation for well over a decade. Yeah. He's training people to think about this. And it was, uh, and then the book that we were talking about mm. as well, glimpses mm-hmm. of the new creation was so good. Absolutely brilliant. And yeah. so it, it was a super fun conversation to have. Yeah. I, I loved just getting to talk with him about the formative power of the arts that have on us and the unique way that art can disciple us. Mm. I mean, part of what uh, we talked about was how incorporating art into church, into our services, into our worship can can go just beyond us showing up and reading scripture and singing, which are all great things and we should be doing. Central things, yeah. Central things, essential things to our faith. But art and our use of it mm-hmm. can really just supplement that with just so many opportunities and one of my favorite things that we talked about in the in the conversation was how it can capture our imagination yeah that was a good part i love that that the discussion man that was so good because and going back to how art can disciple us i told a story about how you know when i was a a kid i accepted christ Mm -hmm. i don't remember exactly how old i was but i was in elementary school so i'd heard the gospel before Mm -hmm. um i'd put my faith in christ and i had read the bible um but then I think maybe a year or two later, I discovered the Chronicles of Narnia. Legendary. And so Legendary. Good. Clive Staples Lewis. Oh man, what a guy. And yeah. I and reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, which was a work of creative art. Mm-hmm. And it just so beautifully displays the the gospel story, right? Yeah. In a way that I'd never heard it before. Mm-hmm. And so I had heard the gospel. I had read the Bible and I be I was I was a Christian, mm-hmm. but when I read um, the line "The Witch in the Wardrobe," it just changed everything for me. I became so aware mm-hmm. of the gospel story and how it's just woven into everything. Yeah, and and the way that C.S. Lewis wrote that book just really captured my imagination as a child, mm-hmm. and it so uh, allowed me to grow. Mm-hmm. And uh, really discipled me in that moment. And yeah. so that's the sort of hope that I have for the way that we use art yeah. in our church and our ministry and in our families. Yeah. Um, because I think that's so important. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, I think about, because I also read the Chronicles of Narnia when I was a kid, actually, my grandparents, my Yaya and Papu gave me two or three books every mm-hmm. Christmas in the series. Yeah. So I got The Magician's Nephew, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I think Don Treader is okay. the third one. And then uh, Silver Chair, Prince, Prince Caspian, Caspian. 
um, and on and on it went yeah. for a couple years. But the other series, uh, the other piece of literature that I think discipled my imagination was The Lord of the Rings by Tolkien. Ooh, yes. Um, and, and for me, it, it formed my understanding of the gospel and of virtue and of what it, yeah. what it looks like to long for the true king. Mm. Um, and, and obviously none of this supersedes scripture. All of it sure, is under right. scripture and, and all of it needs to be informed and formed by scripture. Uh, but I know we just watched the, the Lord of the Rings and yeah. you, you hadn't seen the movies before. Not. And uh, I, I haven't read the books in probably 15 or 20 years at this point. Um, but but I remember even just seeing like all of these different scenes and like tearing up rewatching oh, it man. as a thirty year old man. Yes, just thinking about the the richness of how that piece of literature, that piece of yes, art, yes, captures the gospel and kind of shines a light on it that that maybe I hadn't seen before. Right, right, and that's what I so loved about the conversation that we had with David and and the fact that he is such a big part of this conversation and he is teaching people on you know, what that relationship between faith and art looks like is so necessary. Absolutely. Because yeah. it has become such a big, big avenue for people and especially Christians who are artists. Mm. Um, it's just a big avenue for us to display our faith yeah. and really um, share that with other people. Yeah. So I, I just think that it's a conversation that needs to be happening. Mm, yeah. And uh, I loved just being able to talk to David about the book that he wrote on it. Yeah. And, and the book is phenomenal. You know, he, yeah. one, of, one of the things he draws out, and this is kind of the main thesis of the book is that each form of art has a unique power unto yeah. itself. He, he borrows from uh, the theologian, Jeremy Begbie, and mm -hmm. he calls it the singular powers. And so the way that something like a, a sculpture works on us is not the same way that a song works on us. Right. Is, is not the same way that a painting works on us, but each of these forms of art have their own, their own almost unique yeah. language in which they disciple and form us into what it means to be truly human mm. and to truly follow the, the triune God. Right. Oh, I love that because for example, a song can be ever changing, right? We can change choruses. We can change yeah. lyrics. We can change the flow of it. And mm. if we're leading in worship, we can sing a verse again. Right. Um, and so that is a little more fluid. Mm -hmm. It um, unfolds over time, it unfolds over time, yeah. but, a sculpture is the same. Yeah. Once you finish it, that's it. Once you chip away a piece of rock or marble mm. or clay, it's done. It can't be put back. Exactly. No matter how much Gorilla Glue <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah. you apply. So, and that it, that's unique power right. of a sculpture versus right. the unique power of song. Yeah. You know, I think about um, one of our previous guests, Reggie Kid, who's the yeah. dean of the Cathedral of St. Luke's uh, in Orlando. And I, I used to worship at St. Luke's on Sunday nights because I had school really early on Mondays, mm -hmm. so I would spend the night in Orlando. And there is a uh, there's a, a crucifix uh, above the altar of St. Yeah. Luke's that uh, has Jesus with his arms extended. And I would come in week in and week out and and face that same crucifix of Jesus with his arms extended and there was something powerful about that to see this this image of Christ week in and week out as I gathered for worship. Mm. Um, that was the unique power of that sculpture. But then That's I think good. about when you and Darnisha lead us in worship, and yeah. and I know because I'm normally at band practice on a Tuesday <laughs> night. I know that the way you practice the song is not always the way you play it. Right, right. In the moment, the spirit's leading, man, and the song changes. You gotta follow. Yeah, right, and, right, and, right. And you you double up on a chorus, or yeah. you, there was something you plan to play longer, and you choose not to. And yeah. There's this dynamic flow, so so exactly. music works differently than than sculpture, and I think that's one of the brilliant insights of David. 
uh, in his book. But I know that the relationship between faith and art, especially within worship, is, mm-hmm. is one that Christians across the world maybe don't always see eye to eye on. Yeah. Um, so I think of like our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters, and they place a very high emphasis on something like icons, icons. And, and they paint the walls of their sanctuaries with icons. It's central to their worship. Right. Whereas if you go to the other side of things, our, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters would, would see that as borderline idolatrous right. and, and would have some really deep concerns about that. And sort of the Presbyterian reformed Puritan impulse in worship is mm. very simple, very plain. Yeah. And, and so there's, there's a, a lively dialogue that Christians have. There's lots yeah. of room for disagreement and, and debate about how the arts relate to the worship of the church. Yeah. And there's a lot of discussion among people who all love the Lord, but just don't agree. Yeah. And I think that goes beyond art and worship. I mean, that can go all sorts of matters of theology. Exactly. And so that is why we found our conversation with our friend, Gavin Orland, super beneficial. Mm, So if you guys didn't get a chance to listen to that episode, please go check it out. It was incredible. Gavin is is super kind and he wrote this book called uh, finding the right hills to die on which yeah. was so helpful for us mm-hmm. um and very encouraging because in it he, he sort of begins the dialogue of how do we engage with christians mm-hmm. on you, issues we don't see eye on to eye issues on. we don't see eye to eye on and which are plenty there, yeah. are, there are many issues that christians around the world disagree on right um and he sort of he opens up the floor to theological triage, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. he he kind of expands on that and, and sort of teaches us how to rank doctrinal issues. Right, yeah. And, and he's drawing on a Southern Baptist theologian named Albert Moeller, who yeah, I think yeah, in yeah. the mid-2000s used this analogy uh, that, you know, if you're on the battlefield, not all injuries are equal. Uh, right. Some, some injuries, like a, a broken foot, are, are pretty bad but won't kill you. Mm. And so if you're a battlefield doctor, you're going to go to the person who, who has a severe and mortal wound right. before you go to the person with the broken foot. And you're going to go to the person, the the person with the broken foot, before you go to the person who has scratch. like a scratch, right? Sure, sure. Um, and in the same way, theology functions like that. Even though all theology is connected, and even though all of our thoughts about God are important, mm-hmm. some thoughts about God are most important because Definitely. because they they step into the territory of being salvation issues. Yes, and, yes. And those are what Gavin calls kind of these first tier issues, things mm. like the Trinity, things like the deity and the two natures of Christ. Things like justification by faith. Yep. Big uh, ones. These are, these are the biggest. The, the biggest and the most important. These are the things we fight about. But yep. then he talks about second and third tier issues. And these are things we can agree to disagree on. And I, man, I, I've just got to be honest. I was so excited about this conversation with Gavin. I have this distinct memory of us turning off the, the podcast <laughs> and walking out to our front yard to like water our plants or something. We did like a happy dance and we did like a happy dance. We were like, Oh my gosh, this was like, I think Such I had goosebumps. I, I might not have cried. Right? I, I don't <laughs> not want this time. Not this time. It wasn't like, it wasn't like yeah. you too. Um, but I, I definitely was just so, so encouraged by his perspective and his humility and his grace. Yes. Yes. And he just has such a heart for unity within the body of Christ. And I think that's, that's our heart too. Um, especially when we're dealing with, uh, just friends of ours who believe different things and people around the world. Yeah. Who, who, who have different perspectives that are within the bounds of orthodoxy. Exactly. Exactly. And that is very important to identify. Um, 
But even then, Gavin has this quote from the book that I, I just love. And mm. he says, even when the air we oppose is a deadly heresy, our aim must be to heal, not to disgrace. Yeah, so And I good. think that is so important in the way that we have these discussions sure. with, you know, people who disagree on mm-hmm. certain theological issues that even if we are facing someone with a heretical opinion. Right. Something that's a tier one issue, a right? Tier one issue. We are still called to respond with grace, right? Yeah. Not to disgrace them. And I think that for the sake of the unity of the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. that is just essential. You know what it reminds me of is what Paul tells Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, he's, he's warning about false teachers and, and mm. heretics, people who've kind of violated the, the first tier issues of theology. But even with that, Paul says to Timothy in 2.24, he, he says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, mm. able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape mm. the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. You so know, good. Paul is, Paul is one of these people who has no problem coming out swinging on false teachers. <laughs> oh man, man totally. read all of Galatians. Like it yep. is, it is intense. unbelievably intense. And yet one of the, one of the requirements for the, the Lord's servant, according to Paul is gentleness with false teachers as well. Mm. And, and a genuine desire to see them change their minds, to see them come to a knowledge of the truth, not just to beat them down in an argument. Definitely. And you know, I think this grace that Gavin talks about between brothers and sisters who don't see to eye to eye is something that we've even experienced in our own <laughs> marriage because there, there's theological issues we're not maybe yeah. on the same page about. Definitely the tier one. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, we're, we're yeah, for sure. Let's be clear. We are, we are Nicene Creed Christians <laughs> in this family. And yes. Yeah, we are very much tier one and mostly tier two yeah, on yeah, the same yeah. page. But there's, I mean, we, there's no denying that you and I have kind of grown up in completely different traditions. I was brought up in the Pentecostal tradition, mm-hmm. in the Assemblies of God. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I was raised for a little bit in the Episcopal Church and then have grown up in, in Bay Life. And I mean, I'm steeped in like Reformed theology. I'm going mm-hmm. to a Reformed seminary. Yep. I am. I will just uh, fully lay my cards on the table and say <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a five-point Calvinist. Uh, yeah. And you are not. <laughs> <laughs> so I know, I know for a lot of people, it's all five points or nothing. Um, mm-hmm. But I actually disagree. I, I would say I'm I'm maybe one point away. Sure. Um, there's just some things that I'm still kind of grappling with. Yeah. Um, but that's okay because those are things that we talk about. Right. And they yeah. definitely don't divide us. No, not at all. Um, yeah. And yeah, so, we're, we're fully married. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. So. Um, but it's, you know, it's just a grace that, we, you know, when we have these discussions, we we talk about it. And, and it's not like it's a one and done conversation, right? Sure. It's an ongoing conversation. Mm-hmm. We talk about these things all the time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. and I think that's just kind of the nature of what these conversations are like. Right. It's, you know, we, we talk about things extensively and um, that's kind of the way that we're, we're supposed to engage with these things. Right. Is yeah. Talking about things graciously. Right. And, and informed, and, you know. And I think, you know, especially for you and I, as we have some of these conversations, both of us are committed to the authority of scripture. Right. right. We're, we're both committed to whatever the Bible says. We're, we're going to follow it. Um, but we may not always read the Bible the same way. And so we have right. to have some conversations and go, well, I, I think that this verse is leading in this direction. Yeah. And, and you'll say, well, actually, have you thought about <laughs> it in this direction? And and it's just, it's a gracious conversation. Versa. Yeah, and, and vice versa. Yeah, I'm, I mean, but but I think that that's what I, what I so loved about the conversation with Gavin is that it embodies that 
gracious, godly uh, love for brothers and sisters in the faith who are gathered around the essentials of the gospel, who who might disagree on some important second tier and third tier issues, uh, mm-hmm. but who nonetheless love one another and desire to see Jesus's church be one, mm. uh, so that the world would know. Uh, that Jesus has been sent from the Father, which which are the words of Jesus' high priestly prayer yep. in John. So with all that being said, I, I realize this is a lot to digest, and yeah. uh, and maybe it, it would just be helpful to throw out some resources for people if they want to dive more deeply into all of these topics. Definitely. So obviously the books by the authors that we've interviewed are great starting points. Oh, Gav- yeah. Gavin's book, Finding the Right Hills to Die On, is fantastic. Um, Jay, Jay Kim's, Kim's book is a phenomenal analog church. So good. Uh, David Taylor's book glimpses of the new creation is incredible. But, yes. but if you want to dive more deeply into some of this, I would say Philip Riken's book art for God's sake mm. is, is short. It's maybe like 80 pages. Yeah. Uh, my friend Kevin actually just gave it to he me did. for my birthday. <laughs> um, phenomenal little book to just get you thinking about the, the nature and relationship between faith and the arts. Uh, another book that I would really recommend on the relationship between technology and theology is Andy Crouch's The TechWise Family. Uh, and granted, it's about how do Christian families relate to technology, but I think a lot of the principles there can apply at a, at a more church-wide yeah. level. And, like, it's hard to go wrong with Andy Crouch. The man is just absolutely brilliant. So good. Yeah, for sure. And I know we actually drew on that for some of our previous episodes, so we've mentioned yeah, it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I would say, you know, if you're looking to dive more deeply into all of these check out these authors' books. They're fantastic. Or dive into some of the books that we've suggested. So uh, I think that about wraps things up. It does, yes. Well, thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of The Stone Table. If you enjoyed it, do us a favor, rate, subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends about it, help to get the word out about this show. And if you've got topics or issues that you'd love to hear us cover on the show, we would love to hear from you. So do us a favor, send us an email at thestonetable at baylife.org. With all that being said, for Baylife Church, I'm Travis. And I'm Mickey. And this is The Stone Table.